Welcome to my virtual therapy room. This is Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Please remember that this podcast deals with adult themes, so if you don't have privacy, you may wish to put on your headphones. Today, I'm talking with Cooper S. Beckett. He's the co-founder and host of Life on the Swing Set. The podcast has been running since 2010. He's the author of Swinging and Polyamory novels, A Life Less Monogamous and Approaching the Swingularity, and a memoir, My Life on the Swing Set, Avengers in Swinging and Polyamory. He teaches and speaks on swinging, polyamory, pegging, play parties, and coloring outside the boundaries of your sexuality. He's a graphic and web designer, a photographer, and a voiceover artist, has been a guest expert on Dan Savage's Savage Lovecast, and is the announcer of Tristan Tamarino's radio show, Sex Out Loud. He is currently working on two instructional nonfiction books, one about beginning non-monogamy and the other about pegging. And he has a novel that is coming out very soon. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. And the novel is out. It, it is. This week. Oh, fantastic. It's huge. Yes. This, this has been the, the uh, scattered, panicky release week, you know, where, where everything's kind of like, oh, I don't know. Is it ready? It's ready. Let's just do it. Let's just, you know, I, I always get to that point with my publicist where it's like, okay, I'm going to release it right now because otherwise I'm going to be changing it up till midnight because that's what I do. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. Um, I actually benefited from the advanced copy and I found it great fun. So well, thank um, you. Thank you. There will be a link um, on the website so people who are interested can go and grab a copy. But I also recommend you have a look at the earlier books, um, yes. which are also very entertaining and very informative. Um, so let's talk, let's start out by talking about swinging. I definitely want to make sure that we talk about male bisexuality as well today because it's not a topic that gets talked about a lot. No, it's it's kind of uh, hidden in the shadows. Indeed, but I think um, I think I would like to start with talking about swinging in general because I think when you say that word, listeners have this idea. <laughs> yeah, there's there's baggage. Uh huh. Swinging has baggage. Swinging has baggage that looks a lot like the seventies. Yes, it does. And and for those <laughs> of us who are old enough, you know. <laughs> Well, I think the real reason swinging has baggage is because um, it got really popular in the late 70s and early 80s and like visibly popular to the mainstream, sort of like what we're seeing with polyamory right now. Right. Unfortunately, then uh, the AIDS crisis happened. Yes. And anyone doing anything sex uh, recreationally was sort of, okay, like you're you're, – you need to be shut down. You need to be put back. And swinging fell apart. Unfortunately, I don't think it ever really came back from that. Like, I didn't know that there was a swinging community anymore before I started swinging. And I hear that from most people who are swinging now. It's like they didn't realize it was still a thing until they saw it was a huge underground thing. It, what's really interesting to me about that is, so I'm 54. So the late 70s, um, and early 80s was my, you know, late high school and mm. um, through through university. Um, and I'd actually probably take it into like like 85, um, which was when I was out um, starting graduate school in California. Um, and I was single. 
mm. and into lots of stuff, including swinging. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was definitely into lots of different stuff, um, and uh, including swinging. And and we did not know that there was a health crisis going on, except that we knew that people were dying, but we didn't know why. Sure. Um, and I remember that time vividly, and I remember the phone calls that started between people and, and um, in the straight and bisexual community more so than in the gay community because I, I was yeah. on the fringes of that. But being bisexual, we were kind of back and forth in the communities. And, and then everything shut down. Yeah. And I never stopped being non-monogamous. So, well, I did. I lie. I had a monogamous marriage, which wasn't very <laughs> successful. Yeah. Hey, neither was mine. <laughs> a very few people's are who are actually truly polyamorous. Yes. Um, you know, so, I, yeah, no, I did have a monogamous marriage. That was eight years, not successful. Um, but apart from that, I didn't stop. So I wasn't aware how underground things became yeah. until I started looking for stuff going on in the UK. Cause that's where I am now. Um, and yeah, large community, but very underground. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the internet really changed everything for the swinging community. Mm -hmm. It gave us a, a renaissance and uh, I mean, you, it's hard to, judge any statistical analysis of the swinging community obviously because it's all self-reported right. but the estimates are it's much larger now than it ever was and it's people people are really easily connected with other swingers it's really a wonderful time to be a swinger so do we still have clubs like we did yeah. in yeah. yeah okay i i've been to a few here, I'm the I'm the weird swinger, okay? I'm the one who um, straddles the line between worlds, you know, between swinging and polyamory. So mm -hmm. I I find and and I'm also um, very I'm a germaphobe. I'm um, shy in crowds of people I don't know. So clubs are not ideal for me, right? Because it. You know, it feels like it, when I go to a hotel, I worry about who was there before and what might be on the sheets. Right. So but right. I know those things are happening at the club. I mean, like like hours before. I know it without right. question. Right. Yeah. So I've, I've been to clubs, and, and some of them are lovely. Absolutely. Um, mostly the reason I stopped going to clubs is because a, a good chunk of the swinging community um, is not as mindful as I would like to see in my immediate community and right. I don't judge them for that at all and you can swing however you want but I'm I'm someone who uses um, like oral barriers right. during my sex right. play I'm I'm all about uh, the the safest possible you can make sex and still actually have sex because I don't want to give up the sex Right, but I'm going to make it as safe as humanly possible. Right. Well, but so. you know, it, it, it's it's interesting to me that you say that because um, I, I've talked with and safe sex obviously comes up in in discussions all over this podcast and my other podcast, A to Z of Sex. Sure. Um, because it's a fact of life, but it's fascinating to me how many how people divide safe and what <laughs> yeah and what risks they're willing to take or not take. 
um, and things and like what they don't pay attention to. Yes, that's that's what always, you know, like really early on, I had a, a couple on one of the websites try to convince me and my ex-wife to um, that they only play bareback because right. condoms don't protect all the time and because you can still get things um, while using condoms. And the the cognitive dissonance there yeah, that, made no sense whatsoever to me. That logic doesn't I, work for me. You know, I'd rather have the yeah. higher level of protection thing. <laughs> It's, it's, it's like, okay, you know, sometimes parachutes don't open, so maybe just jump out of the plane without one. It's fun. Yeah, that... that you know, the, the fun is a lot shorter, but it's fun. Wow. <laughs> um, I mean, I think one of the things that that I find interesting is is what, where's the line between, sex, uh, between swinging and polyamory? Ah, well, I look at it as a spectrum. Okay. Rather than a division. You know, it's it's it reminds me a lot of sexuality. I'm also in the somewhere in the middle of the spectrum right. when it comes to sexuality. So I think there's a chunk on one end that are traditional swingers. They don't want to know much about you. They don't need last names. They don't want to hang out with you. They want to get together, probably have some drinks, and fuck. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Way on the other side, there's utopia poly. There's, we're going to live together in a big community and farm and be right. in love with each other and maybe not explore sexually outside this. So those are the, the extremes. But I think most of us are in the middle. Right. And I think we do such a disservice to each other in our communities by trying to distance ourselves from the okay. other one. Like That's the reason I asked the question. I, 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 I suspected, I suspected, <laughs> you know, so, so swingers are always like, oh no, we just have sex it, because love is complicated and you'll lose your partner and blah, blah, blah. And poly people are like, oh, well, we don't, we don't uh, fuck around like those dirty swingers. So, but we're the same because almost everybody I've ever known who's in poly also has lots of casual sex. And almost everybody I know who's in swinging also develops at least close friendships with the people they're swinging with. So we're just very close to that center line. And I think we would, we would all benefit from allowing ourselves to see what's on the other side that we're more similar to than different and, uh, and actually explore if that works for us too. Yeah. I mean, and, and Meg John Barker, um, I inter interviewed them talking about non-monogamy in general and all the different kinds of non-monogamy. And the point was made that we look at non-monogamy as a spectrum these days in the same way that we look at sexuality as a spectrum, in the same way that we look at a spectrum from asexual to um, very sexual or highly sexual. Um, and also, um, as we some suggest, we should be looking at power exchange so that when you're actually mm. talking about sexuality, that what you're doing is you're talking about four spectrum rather yeah. than a kind of one you're either gay, straight or bisexual. And that part of that is where you fall on the monogamous to non to relationship anarchy was that was one right. end of the spectrum and monogamy, complete traditional monogamy was the other. So that makes and I 
and I'm also a switch uh, when it comes to power exchange. So, uh, uh, yeah, I really fall in the middle of every spectrum, I think. Wow. Which is interesting. Which is interesting. Maybe it's because I, I don't want to uh, get locked down in, in any particular section. So these days, um, still a lot of straight married swingers yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say I would say predominantly swinging is about um, hetero. Uh, yeah, married swingers. Um, one of the one of the things that really has opened up my life and my lifestyle is when I moved from throwing swinger parties, which were let's invite the couples we know who swing, mm -hmm. and probably some unicorns because right. like you do, uh, and, and instead started throwing um, sex parties. Right. Where it's not about inviting the swingers and we don't call it a swinger party and we don't talk about that there will be swinging at it. We instead take away the artifice of it and say, we're having people over and there will be sex. And there will be sex in lots of combinations. There will be all types of sex gay, straight, by all the things, and we would love it if you wanted to join us and you don't have to participate in anything if you don't want to. So we lay out the exact same thing that most people do for swinger parties, but we don't just invite swingers. Right. And we don't just invite the heteronormative couples. Right. And when I say heteronormative, I mean the straight man and the bi woman because that is typical swinger right there. Yeah. It's yeah. changed everything too. It, it's really, um, it, it's built our community. Uh, we, you know, we, we're in Chicago and Chicago is an incredibly diverse community sexually. And so it's been amazing to invite across that spectrum and see how different people play in that space. You know? Right. And I would never go back to throwing traditional swinger parties but again there's nothing wrong with traditional swinger parties i've just seen beyond the spectrum i've seen what happens when you uh are more open with whom you invite and how much more fun it can be and i i would love it if other people explored that but it would take a lot more security on the part of the hetero men in the in the room and that's an interesting comment. Um, so, <laughs> so let you know. Let's talk a bit about male bisexuality. I mean, you, you know, yeah. women, bisexual women, as part of couples in swinging is considered. It's almost norm. given. It yeah, you it's know. considered the norm. Although I have to say, as somebody who. Um, moves back and forth amongst you know. I never sit right in the middle. I'm always, you know, moving around that spectrum. And who adores women. Um, it, it's a lot of the women that I met were really more about, let's kind of try this out um, tentatively. I do this, that, and this, and that's it, rather than actually right. fully bisexual. Or let's do this because my partner wants me to do this. Absolutely, and I think that is a that is a, a a problem worth noting and worth exploring in the swing community. Uh, the expectation of bi women 
it's almost the expectation of straight men. It's it's you. The swinging community, by and large, has put the men and women into a box. Yeah. And this is what we want from our men, and this is what we want from our women in the community. And there is a lot to be said about the experience of a straight woman uh, who has to actively reject, like, over and over and over, people trying to, oh, just no, just try this. And the yeah. men would never accept that of themselves. Yeah. You know, just try this. Just suck my cock. Come on. Let's just do this. You know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not an acceptable thing. It's what's really interesting for me is that I mean I I think I actually I, I love playing with my husband, mm. um, and he is also bisexual, and I love we love doing things together. Um, but in terms of the swingers environment, I would rather go as a unicorn. Yeah, because the atmosphere is different for um, for a woman who's there single. Yeah, um, and is able to decide what couples they join. And there's something a lot of fun about deciding to engage with a couple mm -hmm. and, and be part of that, which is a completely um, different thing. And, and I think both myself and my husband in a traditional swingers party would find ourselves restrained. I could see that. Because yeah. we don't quite fit the roles. So what's the reaction these days to bisexual men? Because you just, you know, they're ever so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a few things and I always do wonder if I've uh, painted myself into a community that is not representative of the world. Mm. And I think I have, I think we all do in, uh, in opening up, we, we put ourselves, we self-select our community. Mm -hmm. And like I run a trip to Mexico every year and we encourage, like actively encourage in our invitation, bisexual men. And this last year, I think there was more boy kissing than that resort has ever seen before. <laughs> and that's awesome. And, and I feel like that discourages the haters. So that's one part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I lead with, we are diverse. You will see men having sex, you know, we, because if, if you're not cool with that, if you're going to drop the F word on us, you know, uh, you're not fucking welcome in yeah. my community. So I've definitely, um, I've definitely self-selected into a community, but that said, there is a lot more acceptance for by men going on and the most amazing thing uh after i opened up and said i'm bisexual and i'm putting this on my profile and it may stop us from getting a lot of random people saying hey let's have sex but it it started us getting people where the the husband would be like you know i've i've always kind of been curious about that but never really talked about it right because i gave him permission by being openly bisexual yeah and it's also the reason i use bisexual and not pan or omni where that is the better descriptor of me you know i'm i really don't care what bits you have if i like you and want to play with you right that's me but it's far more important for me to be bisexual because of male bi invisibility and well, that's easy to understand well, people. it's interesting because I'm the same. I mean, pansexual would be a better in, in a, a better descriptor, except it seems to have been taken over 
by heterosexual people who occasionally want to fuck someone of the same sex. <laughs> and that, it is trendy. It's it's it the is. Portland of sexuality. Yes, it is, and it's very much you know you know I kissed a girl and I liked it and and that sort of that sort of attitude. And since that's not at all me, I don't use the term. And my other reason for being very loudly bisexual is also because of bi invisibility. Um, yeah. Not just for men, but for women as well. Oh, in and general, yeah. Spending time in a more um, gay community and a more trans community at various points and the attitude towards me because I had a male partner. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the, the prejudice comes from both directions. Um, I think for bisexual men, correct me if I'm wrong, it's you get more from the heterosexual folk that you're around. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, though, um, I have been told to my face by gay men that I'm just on my road to gay town. Yeah. That well, there yeah. is no bisexuality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I always say that no one oppresses like the people who've been oppressed. Yeah. And I really feel that a lot coming from our marginalized communities. And, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I do not look like someone who's oppressed in any way. Right. And I recognize that privilege. I am a, I am a white man uh, who is, looks ostensibly straight and people will make those, those, that assumption about me so I can hide easily. Yeah. And that is privilege. And I, I recognize that. Um, but the, the fascinating thing about bisexuality in swinging, I think, is that the reason most people give for not wanting bisexual men at their events is because they don't want, I don't want him coming on to me. Like, yeah. just because I'm bi, I've suddenly forgotten all the rules of social interaction right. and all consent discussion. Uh, and then <laughs> well, I realized what it is. And it's kind of horrifying because I've seen men in bars, in even in swinging, do that thing where the woman says no and he keeps prodding, right. knowing that if he wears her down, he may get to fuck her. Right. And what would be the most terrifying thing in the world for that man, not secure in his, in his sexuality, would be another guy coming in and wearing him down. I mean, you so know... It, I find it fascinating because my husband is, will say the same thing. He says, you know, he's picky. Yeah. And he's like, so I don't understand why these guys just would automatically think <laughs> that I would be interested in them because I'm very picky. Yeah. You know, and, it, you know, the, the ones who are panicking are ones I would never be interested in in the first place. So, you know. I like to tell the people who are being hateful. It's like, oh, you, you know, I, I don't have any interest in fucking you. I just want to make that very clear. Yeah. I mean, especially now that I see how hateful and awful you are. Yeah. Now I don't think anyone should fuck you. Yeah, no, I know. And it, it, but it is, it is fascinating. It is that fascinating area to me um, because I had an expectation, I don't know why, <laughs> that there would be some respect from people who were oppressed for others who are oppressed and there just isn't. It's really hard 
to deal repeatedly with that. You know, if you just had the right woman, you wouldn't be with a man or you couldn't love women because you're actually married to a man or, yeah. you know, all of that sort of stuff or in, in sort of the non non-monogamous community. Um, and I'm perhaps more in the power exchange part of, of the community, this sort of thing of women kind of looking at the man that you're with and thinking that they can convince that person to become their one because <laughs> they're yeah. going to out whatever you, right. And the lack yeah. of respect that goes on there for, for people's previous relationships. Whereas if you're in a kind of more traditional polyamorous grouping, there seems to be more respect. That may just be my imagination, but there seems to be more respect in general for relationships and how people do it and the fact that people do it differently. Well, I think the fact is in polyamory, really no one thing works. You know, the polyamory has broken the relationship model to the extent that uh, you really have to build every relationship from scratch. You really cannot look at others as a, because there are too many people involved to be able to look at others as examples. So I, I think poly people have to be more accepting of the variance by by very nature of existence. But you say that, but I have to tell you, I <laughs> I see a lot of poly couples in, and I, I know that sounds strange. I do see poly groups, but I see <laughs> a lot of poly couples in um, my therapy room for coaching yeah. or for therapy, depending on the the nature of the problem, and um, lots of people who identify as poly and who think like monogamists and I have to kind of point out to them in the middle of their talking that they're they're thinking in a very classically monogamist way yeah. about their relationships and I'm not sure how that works being poly so I spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to get people to step back from their programming and actually yeah. create because because what what works in in life is not going to necessarily work for you. I mean, clearly what works for the monogamous world doesn't work for you. So it, yeah, just rec uh, you know, it's, it's, we've been, we've been really brutalized by media and expectations mm -hmm. in, in our entire society. And this goes for the whole world. And, it's forced us into these versions of reality that don't necessarily work, but they've just been happening for so long that we just do it. And it's so hard to break out of that because like, where are our non-monogamy role models? We, oh. We've got a few celebrities and that's really it. That's Yeah, no, the rest of them are, are, are more polygamous and people don't like to look at them as role models. Yes, exactly. You know, most of what you see and most of what you see on television, you know, and people don't like to look at them as role models. Right. Although, and I've been clobbered for saying this, um, which is my four, four wives, my four wives, which is the one with Cody. The um, Isn't it sister wives? Yeah, it might be sister wives. Um, anyway, um, actually, they—I mean, they—they they go to therapy. 
to deal with issues. Mm-hmm. They actually work through issues. Um, they have a child that came out as gay. I mean, you know, and it's it's like, it's a nice working model if people can step away from the, oh my God, the religious, you know, which is what gets people all up in arms. It's not, it's yeah. not a bad uh, role model for um, male polygamy. And there's, uh, there's lots of that. There's lots of that in the non-monogamous community that isn't, religious, is. that isn't religiously based. It's simply the way that they do their poly. Though I, I, uh, I've seen a lot, especially recently, like strangely recently, a lot of what I've called harem building. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the poly community. And it's harem building, not just relationships, because I've seen the same behavior where the where one of the women in the in the group starts to feel neglected or or that things aren't working right and tries to bring up these issues with the, the male, and he instead of processing it, dumps her and replaces her with another model. Hmm. And I mean, I, I, I've never been one who believes that non-monogamy is somehow enlightened, but I think there's also the worth talking about the idea that in non-monogamy, the predators can hide differently. Yes. And it looks like what we think it should look like, but it is predatory. And so we all must, in, in these small communities, we must be especially vigilant in watching for predatory behavior. And that's an interesting point because people don't often talk about that. Um, I mean, I think this conversation happens a lot more when you're talking with people in the BDSM and power exchange communities about what's predatory behavior and what isn't. And, you know, there's all sorts of polemics about, you know, what's okay and what isn't. Um, What actually, again, people in these communities are, creating their relationships from scratch. Um, And one of the things I think doesn't get said enough is that you are responsible to a degree for your safety. Yeah. And you're responsible to gain knowledge and learn how to protect yourself. But we're also have a degree of responsibility for those in our communities. Oh, without without a doubt. But that's some that's that's actually a very controversial thing to say. Often, I've watched yeah. discussions of this go on um, on places like FetLife. Um, it's probably the most obvious place where you see these sorts of discussions. And over the years, where you have somebody who behaves badly repeatedly, yeah, and you can you know watch the relationships as they're behaving badly, behaving badly, behaving badly, but nobody wants to call the person out in public. Right. And you see that the person, and we're not talking behaving badly, like, you know, your standard non-consensual cheats on somebody or, you know, I mean, we're talking about dangerous stuff, talking about really predatory behavior and you watch somebody behave and as be a predator repeatedly, but nobody will call them out. Yeah. Because, you know, who's supposed to make the decision and who's supposed to, you know, say what the rules are and say when you can exclude someone. And and while I agree with that, I do think it's very difficult. I, I think it's very difficult to decide where lines are in terms oh, of Oh, yeah, behavior. absolutely. 
There is a reality, though. I mean, there is obvious predatory behavior. And if you saw it in the outside world, you would say, oh, gee, that's a sex criminal, right? <laughs> you know, call the police. That's somebody who should be on the on the uh, on the register. Yeah. And yet in alternative communities, it's sort of very hush hush. People don't talk about it. I think we're seeing a few things there. I think we're seeing the the desperate attempt to be accepting of other people's sexual and relationship building. Right. To to a fault of we're going to be more accepting of something that we shouldn't be. But you're also seeing um, – I completely just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I – I feel like a lot of people in our communities are broken. Well, that's and, okay. So the, there's another controversial point. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, uh, but, and it's, I, I use broken as a blanket term because it's how I refer to myself. Okay. So I don't want anyone to get up in arms about it. It doesn't mean like damaged. It means that we've all, I think one of the reasons that uh, people choose alternative lifestyles, alternative relationship styles, is because they were forced to look into other means of being happy in life. You know, uh, I've noticed a huge, disproportionately large number of people in my community that have chronic illness. Mm -hmm. And so that, that perplexed me. It's like, well, where's the correlation? Because that percentage has to have a correlation somewhere. There, there needs to be a reason for that. And what I realized is it's, it's not a reason in the direction I thought. It's a reason in that people with chronic illness are sort of already shaky on the life track. You know, they're, they're going to be more miserable than people without chronic illness at times. And what do miserable people do? They look for solace elsewhere. So maybe they read more or they go online more and read about relationships and then they discover non-monogamy. How we discover non-monogamy is because we're looking for something. I, that's, think, I think that's interesting. I'd love to try and do some research on that. Um, I would too, but I'm not a scientist, so I I shouldn't do the research. On well, that. I mean, no, you can you can actually work with a scientist to do the research. You know, not yeah. being a scientist doesn't mean you shouldn't you shouldn't collect data. Collecting data is not difficult. It's figuring yeah. out how to analyze it that's that's the the issue. But for me, it's an that's an interesting comment. I I mean, I I'm, I think I will agree in part in that okay. I do think that a lot of people. If you're not part of the norm, yeah, then you know you're more likely to have more than one thing that's different from the norm. That's yeah. my that's my experience in observing people um, as a psychologist over thirty years. So it's not surprising that when you look at groups that are different or more fringe that you're going to find more people that have a variety of things than you would in the general population that carry a variety yeah. of types of baggage than you would in the general population. And it's interesting to think that part of that is about looking for other ways to enjoy yourself and to, Definitely. and to be happy. I mean, I think chronic illness is a special, is a special case because there are some interesting things about how sex does for the body when you've got chronic illness and how helpful right. sex right. can be. 
Um, in the same way that um, some of the extreme exercise practices can be, but people with chronic illness often can't manage that, but they can manage sex. Oh, yeah, that's very true. You know, huh. so you, you can get your endorphin hit by engaging in various forms of sex. A lot of people, I've talked with quite a few masochists about who have, have chronic illness, about yeah. um, the remissions of their illnesses and remissions of symptoms when they're having regular sessions. Huh. Because of the way endorphins are dealt within the body and the release of the endorphins in the body. And it's better than any prescribed painkillers. So I believe I don't have the research to back me up at this point, but I believe <laughs> that there's a, there is a correlation there. Um, yeah. and that, you know, yeah, I can't get a runner's high because, um, I have systemic lupus. So you won't find me running long distance. Um, because right. when it hits me, because my joints are just not capable of managing that. And I also end up sometimes with breathing issues. So um, I can't do that. But I can do a lot of other things sexually that produce the same effect. And I know there are lots of people like me that are going yeah, through this, that. This really should be research, researched deeply, I think. You know, it'd, it'd be nice if uh, in my, uh, my country at the moment, uh, we weren't one step from lynching scientists. Uh, yeah. So... You know, it, it'd be nice if we could explore the benefits of sexuality, like let's let's say, you know, as as a, a, a fan of prostate orgasms myself, it would be nice if we could actually explore that scientifically and and prove the suspected link between regular prostate stimulation and a reduced risk of prostate cancer. Wouldn't that be great if we could prove that? Well, and it shouldn't be difficult to prove it, but I'm sure that no. nobody in America will get research money for that right now. Nobody. No, you can't go anywhere near someone's butt because it, it might be gay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Indeed. That's kind of scary. <sighs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm really, my entire goal in in life, in since I became non-monogamous and started the podcast, my entire reason for existence is to get people to ask the questions that I wasn't asking in my monogamous marriage, which are, is monogamy right for me? Right. And I, I'm always very uh, insistent that I'm not saying non-monogamy is right for everyone it's not but if you're not asking the question you've been forced into a position and 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 i find that interesting because for me the thing that i'm i'm trying to help people do is to ask themselves all sorts of questions of that type to figure out yeah. who they are sexually because many of them haven't thought it through um and a lot of them aren't paying attention to their feelings. Not at um, all. <laughs> the, not even having the conversation. I mean, one of the biggest things that people bring is an inability to talk about sex at all, even yeah. with the people that they're partnered with and having sex with, which now we're in the 21st century. You would have thought <laughs> we would have dealt with that. <laughs> We felt the wave. There was a wave of sexual acceptance that was happening, and it broke too early now. And now we need to fight more, more than ever, to 
get back that, you know, because if if we see a return to like the Reagan era style of sexual regressive politics, I'm how many people need to die before we accept that sex should be uh, okay? Before we accept that, you know, you shouldn't have to die from uh, cervical cancer as a punishment for having sex right. recreationally, because that is the cause and effect that the people are uh, who are making these laws are creating. And that is the reason they're creating them, whether they want to get all high and mighty about other things. That's it. That's the argument that I won't give you helpful things to prevent your sexual, sexually transmitted infections because you shouldn't be having sex recreationally. Well, look, we know we all know how well that works, right? We all know. how. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, come on. We all know how well it works to, to teach kids abstinence. Right. And how actually it ends up going the opposite direction and what you get are higher rates of sexually transmitted disease and higher rates of pregnancy, <sighs> which is yeah. just crazy. Um, so let me ask you, <laughs> if people want to find you, where do they find you? Oh, well. I can be found all over the place. Um, <laughs> CooperSBeckett.com is the easiest way to find me. And you can buy my books right from there. I'm an independent publisher, so I appreciate if you buy my books from CooperSBeckett.com. Um, you can find my podcast, Life on the Swing Set, at LifeOnTheSwingSet.com. And we, uh, we started out as a swinging podcast and then expanded to be all forms of open sexuality. And so now we talk about everything. We're about to record another episode on anal because that's always a popular subject. Yes, indeed. <laughs> My new book is Approaching the Swingularity. It's uh, seven days at a sexy resort in Mexico. We're following seven characters throughout their um, trials and tribulations in their various forms of non-monogamy. And I tried to make it as amazingly inclusive as I could and, and cram it full of just about every type of sex I have ever seen. <laughs> so now that sounds I, I hope I, I achieved that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I was pretty impressed, and it's, it, it is great fun. I, I can recommend. It's an easy read. Oh, good, 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 good. Uh, yeah, and it came out on, uh, uh, on the 18th. It's coming out on Amazon on the 24th. You can buy it anywhere, but again, I would really appreciate buying it from my site. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you for joining me. I'm sure we'll talk again. My pleasure. And thanks for joining me this week for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Do write to me with suggestions for the show and questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. Follow me on Twitter. I'm Dr. Bisbee there. For a free 30-minute strategy session, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click the button that says Schedule Now. I look forward to seeing you next week when we'll begin our series on BDSM and Power Exchange. Thanks for listening.